You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Thank you for joining us today for what I believe is now our seventh episode on Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. Hopefully you've been listening to all of these episodes and you have subscribed to this podcast. And as always, we ask you to go ahead and share it on social media or just tell people about it when you're in person as we're wanting to get a lot of really good, solid Christian content out there in a troubling time for people to listen to and be challenged by and to help them keep their eyes on heaven. So far, we have been talking about a lot of practical everyday life issues that we are facing right now in our time, whether it be disagreeing respectfully or how to use social media or how we should deal with anxiousness or how we should learn to forgive those who have wronged us. Uh, last week, Mike Pipkin, one of our elders here at Preston Crest and a local attorney, here in Dallas, joined us to talk about Romans chapter 13, how Christians are to submit to the government and why we submit to the government and and what that means and also uh, what that doesn't mean. But for the next four episodes, we're going to take a small shift in our discussion. We've been talking about things that we're facing right now in our culture, maybe more from a practical perspective. But for the next four episodes, I want us to do a a doctrinal study. Now, if you hear that word doctrine and you get turned off to that word, let me just say as we begin, just because we call something practical and then call something doctrinal does not mean that those things are mutually exclusive. Doctrine is still practical because the doctrine that we find in the New Testament is not just supposed to be talked about. And it's not just supposed to be taught or learned. God wants us to live it. And so when we talk about doctrinal studies, what we're talking about is looking at what the Bible teaches about such and such issue and then putting that practice into our life. And for the next month, we're going to discuss baptism. A lot of people want to talk about baptism, and a lot of people have a lot of questions about baptism. People often ask, well, is it right for me? And uh, what does baptism mean? And I know there are several kinds of baptisms in the religious world. Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Why do they baptize? Why does this group baptize? If I get baptized with this group, what does that mean for my life? If I get baptized with another group, what does that mean for my life? Uh, What's the purpose for it? When should I do it? When should I not do it? There are all kinds of questions about baptism. When in reality, baptism, one of God's greatest gifts to us, and 
a critical part for God's plan for salvation. It's not that complicated. There shouldn't be that many questions. The Bible's pretty clear about what baptism is for, when it takes place, and why it takes place. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about baptism. And before we go any further, I want to just set one thing straight. What's going to be said here on this podcast, and what I want you to hear on this podcast, is not what Jacob Hawk says about baptism. And I don't want you to focus on what maybe your church says about baptism, or what your preacher or pastor has said about baptism, or even what your faith tradition has said about baptism. The goal is to talk about what the Bible says about baptism. Because the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is infallible. The Bible is directly from the Creator. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if we can agree that the Bible is what has the authority, then our discussions about what we think about baptism or about what we've heard about baptism, they, they, quickly, they quickly fade away into the darkness. So what we want to do is just focus on what the Bible has to say about baptism and let people's questions about baptism be answered by the Bible. What I want to do today in this first episode about baptism is just kind of give a brief overview, not for all of the purposes and for all of the plans, but basically what does baptism have to do with your life? What does baptism have to do with my life? Next week, we're going to hear from a minister in Oklahoma who did not grow up as a Christian and hear about his journey to baptism. And then we'll talk a little bit in the next episode about people who get rebaptized and why they get rebaptized. And then in the last episode, we'll spend some time talking with a preacher down in the Austin area about how to teach others about baptism. But today, Our goal is just to discuss an overview of what baptism does for you and what baptism does for me. So the story is told of a small country church that had a real problem with rats in the attic of their building. And they tried everything to fix the problem. They set out their own traps, but that didn't work. They hired an exterminator, but that didn't do any good either. So finally, the frustrated preacher said, I'll handle it. I'll take this into my own hands. And he called a preacher friend of his across town and said, listen, we've, we've got all of these rats in our attic and we can't get them to leave. Do you have any ideas? His preacher friend said, well, we actually had that same problem six months ago. And we fixed it. And I can tell you how to fix it at your church. The preacher said, please do. I mean, we will try anything. We are desperate. And so his friend said, okay, go up in the attic, catch all of the rats, and then baptize them. He said, what? Baptize them? The other preacher said, that's right. Go up in the attic, catch them. Baptize them. Baptize each one of those rats in your baptistry. The preacher asked, well, why in the world would I do that? 
His friend said, well, rats are just like church members. I baptized all of them six months ago, and I haven't seen them since. Now, that's an old, corny preacher joke. And you may be saying, it really wasn't that funny. I'd have to agree with you. But to me, it's not funny because it's lame. It's not funny because it's often so true. And because it's so tragic. Many people say, yeah, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. I want to obey the gospel. And they do. And it is a glorious occasion. But then as soon as they exit the baptistry, they begin their exit of the church. And they begin their exit of the Christian life. And we never see these people again. Why is that? Why is it that people get baptized and then so quickly walk away? Is it because we don't preach baptism? Well, I hope not. If you're at a church that doesn't believe in the necessity of baptism, you might want to find another church. I think it's because we don't help people understand what baptism is going to do for their life. We don't get beyond the academic scriptural study and remind them why baptism is not only a gift, but it is the energy, it is the fuel that flows through their spiritual veins. It's not because people don't often understand that baptism is very involved in their salvation. I, I think most people understand that because you just can't ignore that teaching of Scripture. Scripture's very clear that baptism is essential to be forgiven of sins, and to be saved, you have to be forgiven of your sins. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the day that the church begins, on the day of Pentecost, when thousands of people are gathered together in Jerusalem, and Peter gets up and he makes that fabulous sermon about that Christ has been killed. You put the Messiah on the beams. The people are cut to the heart, and they cry out, and they say, what do we need to do to get right with God? I mean, we're in a mess. And Peter tells them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, well, you need to repent, and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter does not say you need to be baptized for church membership. Peter does not say you need to be baptized because you were saved a few weeks before. Peter says if you want to get in a right relationship with God, if you want to have your sins forgiven, you must repent and you must be baptized. We can look at what Jesus says at the end of his gospel accounts and what we often call the Great Commission. In the middle of that Great Commission, for example, in Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, if you believe and you are baptized, you will be saved. And then Jesus tells people who are going to be baptized, you need to go and help baptize other people. Even Jesus himself was baptized. And Jesus said the reason he was baptized was to fulfill all righteousness. And then when Peter writes his own book, in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
long after the day of Pentecost. Peter talks about the essential nature of baptism in verse 21 when he says that this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. But Peter helps us understand, look, this is not like taking a bath. This is not like washing dirt off of your body. The reason baptism saves you is because in baptism, you pledge a good conscience toward God. And then in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, he joins in the discussion, and he gives some beautiful imagery for baptism in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, when Paul reminds us that through baptism, we are united with Christ. Baptism serves as our own death and our own burial and our own resurrection. You know, you can't bury someone who hasn't died, at least not legally. And you can't raise someone who hasn't been buried. And a sinner's prayer or good deeds in your life just can't get you there. Only baptism can do that. And I really believe that most people know that. Now, they may not always agree with what the Bible says in those passages, but they know that they're there. They hear what it says. But people still leave the church. They often walk away from their faith after their baptism. Why is that? Well, to be completely honest, I think the biggest reason is because it's due to a lack of understanding of baptism's role in discipleship. Baptism is essential for salvation, but baptism is only a fraction of our salvation. I want to make sure that you heard me say that. Baptism, without a doubt, it is essential for salvation, but baptism is only a fraction of our salvation. In fact, I've always been intrigued by Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to the church at Corinth. Now, if you've studied New Testament history and if you've studied the letters of Paul, you know that the church at Corinth, they were a troubled church. If there was ever a church that had problems, it was the church at Corinth. And Paul worked very hard for 18 months trying to help them understand what God wanted them to be. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said about his own life and his own ministry that Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now that's an interesting statement because it almost sounds like Paul is telling the church at Corinth Baptism's not that big of a deal. <laughs> because Christ did not send me to baptize, but just to preach the gospel. Well, when we develop a holistic understanding of Paul's letters and a holistic understanding of the New Testament, we realize that Paul is not against baptism. In fact, Paul is a huge proponent of baptism. Remember what he said in Romans 6, 3 and 4? That baptism is what unites us with Christ? Paul was against what the Corinthians had turned baptism into. 
You see, the Corinthians, they were more interested in who baptized them than why they were baptized. And baptism was placed on a higher pedestal than every other part of their Christian journey. And so Paul says, listen, I'm glad that I haven't baptized any of you folks, except, well, a few of you, Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus, because your view here in the church at Corinth of baptism has become very distorted. You're more focused on who you can claim as your baptizer rather than the fact that you have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, does that happen today? Do our views of baptism often become distorted? Well, when we worry more about the who and the when and the where than the why, then absolutely. Baptism can become distorted And when we don't understand its role in discipleship, people walk away from the faith. Or think about what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, I'm going to ask you a tricky question if you know about the Great Commission. What does Jesus tell us to do in the Great Commission? Does he tell us to make disciples or to baptize people? Well, The reason I said that's a trick question is because he tells us to do both. But his main message, his main emphasis, is to make disciples. Listen to his words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Notice the order there of Jesus' words. You make disciples, then you baptize, and then you teach. And here's what people often do. They baptize, then they try to start teaching, and then they hope to make disciples. But it never works. That's why people disappear. They think that they've done all that they have to do, and so they leave, when in reality, they've only done a small part of what God has asked them to do. People often talk about their friends, and they rejoice when they say, We got them baptized. And there are reasons to rejoice in baptisms. But our goal as disciples is not to make baptize ease. Our goal is to make and to convert disciples. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, when Paul said that I die every day. Now, in baptism, we die to ourselves. And we rise to walk in newness of life. We may only go under the water once. But every day we are to continue to die to ourselves. That is part of the discipleship journey. Yes, we need to remember that baptism is not just about what we are saved from. 
Baptism is also about what we are saved to. I'd like you to write that down if you can remember it. Now, if you're driving in your car, please don't try to write this down while you're driving. Or if you're on the treadmill listening to this, I encourage you to get off the treadmill. But try to remember that and write that down and put that into your life, into your memory forever. That baptism is not just about what we are saved from. Baptism is also about what we are saved to. Let me explain what I mean by that. Baptism does, without a doubt, rescue us from hell. But baptism also activates us into a wonderful, beautiful, perfect journey with Christ. Baptism is not just about what we are saved from. Baptism is about what we are saved to. And as we finish today, there are two passages that I want to mention that I think really highlight this. The first one is in that chapter of Romans chapter 6 where Paul reminds us that we, uh, we are united with Christ through baptism. But in Romans chapter 6 verse 5, Paul says this, If we have been united with him like this, referencing baptism, in his death, then we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, I want you to imagine with me what it would have been like to have been a fly on the wall inside Jesus' tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus came back to life. For two days, that tomb had been dark, maybe a little bit cold, damp, not a single noise had been heard. It was housing a dead body. But then on the third day, a breath is taken. The stone is rolled away. The crescent of sun so brightly shines through the small opening. And Jesus was back. Death did not win. Our human minds have a hard time grasping it. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6 is that because of baptism, you are going to have a resurrection like Jesus. Death will not be your master. A true baptism that leads to true discipleship says that one day breath will come back to your lifeless body and the Spirit will continue to live. You see, in baptism we are saved to the promise that the loved ones that we lost, those we cherished who have died, and we're going to see them again. And that we're going to hug them again. And that we're going to laugh with them again. It's not over. 
If you're listening to this and you've lost a spouse because of the hope of baptism and because of the hope of the resurrection, you're going to hug your spouse again. If you've buried a child, your child was perfect. And because of the hope of the resurrection and because you've been baptized, you're going to hug your child again. If you've lost your, your best friend, your fishing, your fishing buddy, your golfing buddy, if you are both in Christ, you're going to see them again. If you've lost a parent and you miss them every day, because of baptism, because of grace, because of the blood of Jesus, you're going to see your parent again. Death does not win. Death is not the master. You will have a resurrection just like Jesus. That's why Paul so powerfully writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 56. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, because He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is that victory found? Oh, it's in the power of God. It's in the grace of God. It's in the blood of Jesus. But specifically, it's found in baptism. Because baptism is what brings us into contact with that precious blood of Christ. You see, baptism, it's not just what we're saved from. It's also about what we are saved to. Or think about what Paul says two, two chapters later in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. Paul is writing to baptized believers, people who are Christians, and he says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit through baptism. We don't pray for the Holy Spirit and receive it. We don't live a good life and receive it. We aren't members of a church and receive it. The Bible teaches us that we receive the Holy Spirit through baptism. And so Paul describes two huge promises to baptized believers who are also spirit bearers. First, he says, we're adopted sons of God. That makes sense. Jesus was the Son of God, and the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. But as spirit bearers, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We weren't from the right nation, the right land, or the right time, but we are still part of the family. You know, adoption is a very special thing. I had some good friends in my first ministry work. They were sisters. One of them was the biological child. One of them was the adopted child. And I would always love to hear the adopted child just tease the biological child and said, you know, mom and dad, they had to have you, but they chose 
me. That's right. <laughs> if you're adopted, you were chosen. And God chose you. He picked you out of the crowd. He called you his own. He made you part of the family. And he did so through his spirit, which you received in baptism. And secondly, Paul says by that same spirit, we get to cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a precious word. It's a word that helps us understand who God is. It's a very intimate term, the way that a child would refer to their father as a dad or a daddy. Now, I don't pray to God and call him daddy. Personally, I, I can't do that. I feel like it kind of crosses a line of reverence. But even though I refer to God as my father with respect, I still view him in my heart as a dad. And that's how God wants us to view him as a loving, caring, patient father who always knows what's best for your life. Someone listening to this may say, I never had an earthly father like that. And if you didn't, I grieve with you. But I've got good news. You have a heavenly father like that. And again, it's all because of baptism. We belong to God. We're loved by God beyond our own comprehension. Because baptism is not just about what we are saved from. It's also about what we are saved to. I've been blessed with three sons. And I can remember all three of their births, just like yesterday, because they were all very different. My oldest son and my middle son, they were both born at Methodist Hospital in San Antonio. One came fairly quickly. One took all day to make his grand entrance. My youngest son, Hewitt, was born in Wichita Falls, Texas on a very cold January morning in 2017. But even though they were all born at different times of the day and one of them was born in a different place. I remember the moment just like it was yesterday. And I remember holding them in my arms for the first time, scared to death, but also telling them vocally, I love you more than you'll ever understand. And one day when you have a little boy, or you have a little girl, maybe then, maybe then you'll get it. That's something that only parents understand. But you know, God feels what we feel as fathers, as mothers. Because God is our Father. God is our spiritual parent. And His love 
rises to a whole different level. When we're physically born into his world, I believe that God smiles from heaven and God says, that's my creation. But when we are spiritually born into his kingdom through baptism, God rejoices from heaven and God says, this is no longer my creation, but this is my child. I think we need to do less scaring people into a baptism that saves them from hell and more leading people into a baptism that saves them into the wonderful treasures of God. And I hope that you will join us each episode this month as we study baptism. If I can ever answer any questions for you, or study with you more about baptism, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Remember, baptism is not just about what you are saved from, but baptism is about what you are saved to. And God wants to save you into His wonderful treasures and wonderful plans for your life. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.